Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, Timon Wallace, who is the author of Disarming the Nuclear Argument and of The Truth About Trident. He has a PhD in peace studies from Bradford University in England and has been working on nuclear disarmament and other peace issues since the 1970s. Most recently, he was program manager for peace and disarmament for Quakers in Britain before moving back to Northampton, Massachusetts. He has also been executive director of the Nonviolent Peace Force. As a member of the ICANN, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons team at the UN in 2017, Timon took part in the negotiations which led to the adoption of a hun- by 122 countries of the Nuclear Ban Treaty and won ICANN the 2017 Nobel Peace Prize. With his new partner, Vicki Elson, he is now running NuclearBan.us the campaign to get cities and states in the U.S. to comply with the nuclear ban treaty. Wallace recently authored a report called Warheads to Windmills, How to Pay for a Green New Deal. Tim and Wallace, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you. Happy to be here. Glad to have you on. Thank you for everything you're doing. Let's talk first about Warheads to Windmills. You're you're taking on two twin dangers, right? One of which needs funding and one of which needs funding taken away. Yes, well, we're we're talking about all three sort of uh, existential threats to humanity, uh, including the rising uh, tide of inequality, which threatens to to destroy the, the the planet as much as nuclear weapons and climate change. But yes, we the the, the fundamental sort of formula of addressing the nuclear issue as a way of actually being able to address. The climate issue is, is uh, the core of the report. Can 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 you explain for those of us who are a little bit slow how how inequality isn't just a massive, enormous, unfathomably gigantic evil problem, but actually on the same scale as nuclear apocalypse and environmental apocalypse? That that, that literal elimination of humanity and other species is it is it on that same scale? Well, um, I think I think you can argue that it is because um, it's uh, you know the fact that we're getting people like Trump and Boris Johnson in England um, running running uh, countries you know based on on xenophobia and racism and all these things is a symptom of the danger that we face you know um, happening also in Brazil and Hungary and many other parts of the world you know rising tide of of hostility and and fascist tendencies, and that's all part of this breakdown of a social order, which depends on a certain you know basic level of fairness. And it's not about you know it's not saying that um, the world's going to explode at any moment, but if we don't address this this increasing divide between the haves and the have-nots, then we're not going to be able to solve these other problems because they they. You know, it, it flows into the politics. It flows into the to the rising resentments and and um, and dangers that we face. Which which um, you know, I, I think we need to treat it as a as a as a global emergency. 
Uh, fair enough. And and those dangers do include everything blowing up in a moment uh, in terms of the, the nuclear danger. Why, why, do right. you, why are people so much more in tuned, and thank goodness they are, to the environmental danger uh, and so much less uh, to, our, to our great detriment to the nuclear danger? Uh, well, in this country they are. I mean, as you know, um, as, as you mentioned, you know, the, the, um, the nuclear ban treaty demonstrates that there's a lot more concern about the nuclear issue globally than, than in the United States. But um, I think one of the reasons it's sort of fallen off the agenda in the U.S. is that, um, you know, there's a limit to how many, how many things people can, can hold in their brains as problems. <laughs> and the climate issue is, has risen to the top and, and has, has um, you know, rightly uh, taken people's, you know, uh, uh, attention, but um, and I think you know we've we've grown used to the idea that we can live with nuclear weapons, and that's the real danger um, that people have sort of become um, you know inured to it um, over time um, because it's, because it's you know nothing nothing drastic has happened. I mean, one of the interesting things that did happen last year was the the false alarm in Hawaii. Um, where you know people were were suddenly told you know there's, there's an incoming nuclear attack and it's not a drill, and people had 30 minutes or so to to find a place to hide or decide what to do, and that freaked out a lot of people, and that's one reason why the only presidential candidate who's talking about nuclear weapons happens to be the one from Hawaii. Yeah, and. Uh... When you when you look at the the costs of these things in in warheads to windmills, how to pay for a green new deal, the 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 climate disaster is is already happening and growing, and the financial cost of of doing nothing is so great that a that a green new deal would actually be a cost savings rather than an expense just on its own, right? Before we before we well, get to moving any money out of out of militarism. Yeah, I mean, you can you can say that for a lot of things, you know, the, the the money that's saved, and clearly that is the case with with the cost of of uh, you know climate disruption and and you know extreme weather events that are that are that are causing huge amounts of damage, and you know you can cost all that. And um, at the same time, you know what I've tried to say in the report is, you know, we also have to address the fact that it costs money to fix these things and um, you know it, it doesn't it, it doesn't help our cause to to sort of brush that under the carpet because uh, even though we're saving money in the long term and even though you know it's an investment rather than a, a cost as such that can be easily recouped over the long term nevertheless you know there is an investment that has to be put in to fix these things and to solve climate problems and um, we've got to we've got to find the money for that and one of the one of the main arguments I think that's being made in in sort of political circles is well you know it's too much you know uh, President Trump bandies around this figure which came out of thin air called you know a hundred trillion dollars someone on Fox News or somewhere said you know this was more money than has ever been spent by the U.S. government since the Declaration of Independence and these kind of you know they, you know they're using these fantastical numbers. And I was trying to show that, you know, A, it's not going to be free, but B, it's also not going to cost $100 trillion. You know, there's a fixed amount of money that it takes to invest in these things. We will 
we will save trillions and trillions of dollars of damage that would otherwise occur, not to mention, you know, the life on on this planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not to mention that. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the ending of the of the risk of nuclear apocalypse. I mean, what would actually have to be done to end that risk uh, from a certain angle looks much easier than the efforts that would be required uh, to, to end the risk of, of climate apocalypse. If it, if it's, if we can still call it a risk rather than a certainty, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, that's the irony is, you know, um, we're facing facing this existential threat that could end all life on Earth with a nuclear apocalypse, and to solve that, all we got to do is decide we don't want these weapons anymore. You know, it's it's, it's simple in that sense, um, and it's a huge saving in financial terms that we can use elsewhere, and it's a huge uh, opening up of resources of, of human resources that we need to solve climate and of you know breaking. The, the sort of logjam in international relations that we need to be to get dressed. But um, while it's, it's simple in one sense, obviously it's not simple in another sense, because otherwise we would have done it by now. And, um, you know, we've got a lot of political uh, momentum uh, against us that we have, to, we have to really address to get rid of these um, apocalyptic weapons that we're still holding on to. We're speaking with Tim and Wallace. Uh, Tim Wallace is a uh, author of a report called Warheads to Windmills, How to Pay for a Green New Deal. Uh, part of getting people there may be having them envision and understand uh, what's actually being proposed. Can you talk about uh, some of the steps in a Green New Deal, such as electric transportation and clean electricity and, and so forth? Sure. Uh, what we did in the report was um, look uh, as closely as we could at the, um, you know, what exactly would be needed to meet the latest IPCC, you know, in, in, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, you know, they, their, their latest report, which came out last year, saying that, you know, to, to keep uh, global temperatures to uh, 1.5 degrees um, uh, higher than, than in pre-industrial levels, which was essential to stop the runaway effects of climate change. To, to achieve that goal, we need to reduce emissions by 45% by 2030, so over the next 10 years roughly, and we need to get to net zero by 2050. Of, so of carbon, you're to, talking about carbon, of right? carbon emissions, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, so to do that, uh, you know, looking at the numbers, how much do we actually emit and where do they come from? You know, transportation is the, uh, in the United States anyway, transportation is our number one um, source of carbon emissions, followed very closely by electricity generation. So those are the two top priorities in our report um, to uh, cut um, transportation emissions by moving to electric vehicles. Which is a you know, and it's already happening. It's been you know, it's extraordinary to see what has happened in just a few years. In fact, um, but you know, it has to be sped up enormously to basically get to the point by 2030 where the U.S. does not sell cars that are not electric, and that's going to be a major, major goal of the Green New Deal. We've got to get to a commitment at the national level 
no more fossil fuel-driven vehicles on the, on for sale by 2030. That would get us to the point where we could have no uh, carbon, uh, no no fossil fuel uh, vehicles by 2050 on the roads. There's obviously, you know, only a certain number of cars are bought and sold each year, and um, we need to you know work towards it. So we're, we're trying to be practical as well as visionary about what what we can do to get these emissions down. Um, there are more than 20, uh, I haven't got the latest figure actually in my head, but I mean, you know, there, there, there are many, many models of electric vehicle coming out every year by all the major car companies. And, um, and you know, there, there, there are incentives for, you know, there's the IRS tax credit uh, to bring the cost down um, to, to, you know, comparable to similar types of new cars. So if you're buying a new car tomorrow or the next day, make it an electric vehicle because uh, if you can afford a new car, you can afford an electric one. Um, but to get everybody on to that will take time. And so we, we you know, worked out of how many vehicles would need to be produced each year and how many would need to be sold electric and so on. So that's the number one priority. Number two uh, is getting the electricity itself uh, to be renewable because obviously moving to electric cars and also electric heating for buildings um, will increase our electricity requirements in the short term and, and much of our electricity comes from fossil fuels at the moment. But again, you know, the, the, uh, the progress that has been made in the last few years and the speed at which the price is, is coming down and actually uh, lower than, than fossil fuels uh, is is um, very encouraging and means that it's totally practical and totally doable to get this country on 100% renewable electricity generation in the next 10 years. That means, uh, you know, building lots of windmills and solar panels and phasing out coal, oil, and gas electricity. Now, the the top single consumer of petroleum, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, in this country or anywhere else, is the U.S. military, which uh, in, a, in a ranking of countries, were it a country, would be ranked 30 or 40-something, uh, just the U.S. military. Uh, is there, it, it, obviously, that's completely omitted from the, from the Democrats' plans uh, in Washington uh, for a Green New Deal. Is it, is it part of, is addressing that part of your vision? Well, the uh, of course. I mean, everybody has to has to meet these requirements. And um, the you know one of the things about the military, it's not the it's not the Democrats as such that are hiding this. It's the it's the way the the UN has set up uh, the the counting systems, which don't include um, you know carbon emissions by countries that are outside of their own country. So, for instance, all the ships that are sailing the seas. You know, are burning fossil fuels, and and that they're not even counted anywhere in this equation. And same with, you know, U.S. military forces in Iraq or somewhere, um, because they're they're U.S. They you know they don't they don't get counted as part of Iraq's uh, carbon emissions, and because they're not in the U.S., they don't get counted in the U.S. carbon emissions. So there's a lot of flaws in the way that the accounting is done, and as you say, you know, the military are a huge, huge contributor to carbon emissions, and that is obviously one uh, 
area that has to be tackled, as, as with all the others. But the way we've done it in the report is by saying, you know, transportation and, and heating and so on. And so, um, you know, the, 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 the big carbon emissions from the military are, are transportation, you know, ships and planes and, and Humvees and all the rest of it. And uh, they will have to be moved to electric, same as everything else. So, um, you know, we're, we haven't addressed the military separately, uh, but other other reports, as you as you know, have have been trying to target that. Um, and and the clean energy, the clean electricity that would fuel all of these this, uh, these electric vehicles and electric heating and and so forth would would not be nuclear in your in your vision of what counts as clean energy right yeah well this as you i'm sure know uh, and all your listeners know, you know nuclear nuclear electricity is a very contentious issue within the green movement because um you know it's always been considered a unacceptable danger uh, among uh, environmentalists but uh, with the climate crisis uh, there's been a whole uh, sort of section of the green movement that has embraced nuclear power as an as an electricity source, on the assumption that you know it's not it's not producing as much carbon emissions as coal or oil or gas, and um, you know it, it, it could it could be one of the solutions. But uh, in our report, we have a whole appendix about about nuclear power because it's a it's a false promised as far as we're concerned, um, not just because of the links with nuclear weapons and um, the, the proliferation issue and all, all the things that link it to, to the nuclear weapons issue, but, um, you know, if there's one thing we've learned from the climate crisis, it's that we as a species need to be looking at what the waste products of our, of our activities are and how we deal with them. And the waste products from nuclear power, while they may not uh, involve a lot of carbon dioxide, I mean, they do involve carbon dioxide in the whole fuel cycle because you have to get the uranium out of the ground, you have to build the nuclear power stations, you have to transport it to the power stations and all the rest of it. So there is certainly carbon emissions in that whole process. But the nuclear um, generation of electricity as such is um, is not produced carbon dioxide, but it does produce a lot of uh, products which are, you know, much more harmful to humans in the long run than carbon dioxide. And so you know, we we don't know how to, we, we still don't know what to do with all that radioactive waste. And it's been a problem for decades, and it will be continue to be a problem for decades to come. Um, and so that's the biggest reason why, you know, we, we don't think nuclear power is a good, is a good solution to anything. But, you know, I've also looked at all kinds of other uh, factors in this, in this appendix, um, including the fact that at a certain level of, uh, you know, once, once we reach a certain point in the mining of uranium to, to make nuclear energy, it actually takes more energy to um, produce nuclear power than you get out of the nuclear power plant over the lifetime of the plant. So it's a, it's a crazy formula for creating electricity to actually use more electricity than you produce. Um, but the, 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 the real factor now is that it simply costs too much to produce nuclear power, 
uh, compared to solar. I mean, it's vastly more expensive than the, the latest solar and wind um, calculations. And it takes a huge amount of time to build nuclear power stations. So we don't have time. That's the one thing we don't have. We have 10 years to get this under control. And uh, we simply can't build nuclear power stations in 10 years, let alone you know, plan and, and develop and get, the, get the, the approvals and all the rest of it. I looked at one of the, um, you know, the U.S. is currently building two nuclear power plants, and they've already taken, um, I'm just trying to remember the, the, um, the amount of time, but I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's taken an average of 20 years right. to get from start to finish with a nuclear power plant. We don't have 20 is it is it certain that we have ten? I, I mean, I, I had an author on this program named Dar Jamal with a book called The End of Ice that that argues that the IPCC has been uh, wildly optimistic in every single one of its past predictions, uh, and that numerous scientists uh, predict uh, that it is overly optimistic in its most recent one, uh, and and other authors who've suggested that that methane, uh, including from livestock. Uh, is as big a danger, but just not as popular a one to talk about as as with as with the nuclear danger. Uh, is it possible that we actually have a shorter time and more well, to it's, do? It's, yeah, it's certainly possible. And the IPCC is a uh, you know is a is a broad consensus based uh, process, you know, involving thousands of scientists, and so you know they 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 do. They're conservative in that sense, you know. Um, yeah. But I think, I think you know, firstly, I think it's very, very important that we don't get overly discouraged about addressing climate change or addressing the nuclear danger. We, we have to fix these things, and we can. And we have to go at it with the attitude that we are going to fix it. Because otherwise, you know, if you just give up, you know, that's the end. That's literally the end of, of our... And we can't, you know, I'm not, I'm not willing to do that. Yeah. So I have to, myself, go with the attitude that we can fix these things. We have to fix them. We've got to figure out how to do it. And it may or may not be the case that, you know, we have more time or less time. But the other, the other piece of it, which I think is also important, um, is that, you know, we're talking about a, a scientific consensus. And there's always going to be people on both extremes of that, you know, that Central position. Um, some, as you know, you know, very, very few saying, well, climate change just, you know, it's not humanly caused. And, you know, presidents and others, you know, jump on this and say, well, it's all a hoax or whatever. And we've got to stand up and say, well, you know, 99% of climate scientists say this is not a hoax and say this is the, these are the facts. So if right. we're going to do that, we also have to look at the other end of the spectrum and say, well, okay. You know, maybe a few scientists say, "Well, you know, it's much more of a of a uh, of a problem than we than we think." And 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 again, you know, we're at the other end of the of the spectrum. And I think we have to stand back and say, "Well, you know, they may be right too, but you know, we've got to we've got to somehow work with the with the ninety nine percent that we've got on our side, and 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 otherwise we lose some of that credibility with the the ones that are still." crazy enough to think, you know, we don't have a problem. 
Well, I, I, if people can't handle the thought that we have a chance at succeeding and therefore need to do everything we possibly can, uh, then by all means, they should pretend to be certain we will succeed and, and still do everything we possibly can. Uh, neither of which position is, a, is an argument for, for, for ceasing to do everything we possibly can. Uh, but we, we have just a few minutes left, and I really wanted to talk okay. about uh, nuclear, <laughs> nuclearban.us and, and what can be done and is being done. Done, uh, to promote the nuclear ban treaty. Yeah. Well, very briefly, I mean, we um, we're trying to raise the profile of this treaty in, in the United States. I mean, most people have never heard of it. Um, as you said at the beginning, you know, most people in this country are not really thinking about the nuclear weapons issue at all. And so we're just initially trying to trying to raise awareness and trying to get people to see that the rest of the world is ahead of us on this, and we've got to catch up. And we're also trying to you know actually use the treaty as a as a mobilizing tool to, to build a movement and to build pressure on uh, the particularly the companies uh, that make and and maintain these weapons um, to actually you know contribute to that. Because the, the biggest effect of this treaty in the short term is going to be um, putting pressure on these companies that are all multinational companies operating in countries that are going to be signing and ratifying the treaty or have already done so, um, and, and where their operations are going to be illegal in those countries. And we can, we can add to that pressure by getting cities and states and also you know, faith communities and uh, schools and universities to divest from these companies, to put pressure on these companies to say we're not going to buy your products, um, you know, that, that, you know, the end of the nuclear weapons era has come and you've got to, you know, come to terms with that. And, um, and that's something that uh, was very effective in the 1980s with the nuclear free zone movement and boycotts of, of General Electric and so on. And we're trying to build on that, that tradition that's been very, very uh, effective in many other spheres with, you know, the apartheid movement and the BDS uh, with the Israeli settlements on the West Bank and with the NRA more recently and so on. And with the climate issue, you know, there's, there's been a lot of momentum to put pressure on the companies because we don't live in a in a pure democracy in this country. Uh, you know, our politicians are bought and sold by these companies who pour millions into uh, lobbying Washington to make sure that the you know the, the contracts keep coming, and so by putting pressure on the companies, we're trying to indirectly get to our politicians and get the change in in policy on nuclear weapons. And we're we're getting there. You know, we've got California, the state of California came out again in favor of the treaty. New York City is currently uh, discussing divestment in the New York City Council. We've had resolutions all over the country. And um, we're working on Yale University on a divestment campaign. Um, so, yeah. you know, we're, we're making progress slowly. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And uh, World Beyond War, where I work, is working on, on divestment from all weapons. And we just accomplished that yeah. here in Charlottesville, Virginia. And, but in, in Philadelphia, we're focusing on nuclear weapons uh, for various uh -huh. reasons. But it's, a, it's a, a, a wonderful effort. People can go to worldbeyondwar.org slash divest. And I imagine to nuclearban.us, uh, just 30 seconds left, how else can people stay involved? Um, well, 
you can you you can go to those websites or or other organizations. I mean, Code Pink is also doing divestment, and we're all trying to work together to build to build that that movement of divesting from from all the all the companies that are doing the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. And, um, and um, you know, you can also get ideas from from those websites about you know what you can do individually or what you can do with your local community or your local group, say union, school, hospital, uh, co-op, you know, whatever. Very There's lots of opportunities. Very good. We've been speaking with Timon Wallace. Uh, check out nuclearban.us and pick up a copy of Warheads to Windmills, How to Pay for a Green New Deal. Tim, thank you very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.